0: <coughs> Namo more bhagavato serve Bhagawato, Namo some bhagavato some Buddha, Namo No bhagavato to serve Bhagawato, Rahanto, sangham ma, So currently we're using the time for, using the time in the monastery for um, meditation practice. There's simplicity, silence, a lot of introspection into the body, nature of the body, the energies of the body, sensations, um, the nature of the heart, the joys and sorrows of the heart, nature of thought and thinking, the uh, repetitive nature of it, the seeming the way that thinking can go on and on and on and never seem to get bored, <laughs> get bored with itself. <laughs> uh, going around in circles and never really coming to anything that conclusive and yet convinced that one day it will. And uh, so, quite a lot of our practice is the, is allowing a certain wisdom to develop through just through uh, recognizing the processes that uh, that we seem to be made of their their conditioned nature their. Energetic nature, their um, independent nature, the In way they're independent, independent of self, they're not, they just go on and on and on. Whether you want them to, don't want them to, like them, dislike them, still, there's this bodily process, heart process, and uh, thinking process, and they're, they're just buzzing away, and you can moderate them, and you can affect them, and sometimes they seem to just go twisting completely out of control into kind of semi-deranged feedback loops. And uh, so you can get very, very busy, very intense. Um, and uh, so in that intensity, we often feel ourselves stuck, troubled, suffering, overwhelmed, overpowered. And then when that intensity diminishes we can feel quite joyful and free and bright and uh, see things in a different light. Mm. So, see how suffering and uh, the non-suffering are really dependent upon how these processes can be managed, comprehended, moderated, seen, understood. Really, this is what the Buddha's teaching is. It's just trying to understand ourselves. So, when we think of it perhaps as kind of a religion, then that can add certain qualities that make us feel we should, you know, we should be having some religious experience rather than just my crazy mind going going potty. Um, I should be doing something more religious than this. Some kind of, or we think of spirituality, so we can get certain level of experience that seems to be the right one you know something that's kind of you know vibrant compassionate um, radiant joyful A spiritual experience like just stupid cruddy old thoughts churning away um so actually when, when we the way we even consider practice uh, can mean that we're not actually acts as an obstacle to really getting in touch and, and managing, managing ourselves, which is all the Buddha taught, really, Four Noble Truths. So be even calling it meditation sometimes, you know, sets one up for a big disappointment. You know, meditation should be profound, mystical, um, you know, concentrated, lofty themes of some kind or another, or, or the ethereal silences and it's just me like with a kind of nagging tune in my brain um, <laughs> or or rehashing some some event from 15 years ago with its uh, grief and excitement or whatever it is. So, but actually it's a lot of it, it's really just handling this stuff and, inter- and really seeing through this stuff. Uh, and not not uh, you know recognizing this this is this it's this really through this stuff that we we realize um, liberation freedom but it does require uh, one to to um, open to it and. uh investigate it, work with it. And it's this particular kind of approach that is, gives rise to, to wisdom, <coughs> direct wisdom. It's not wisdom that we've thought up. It's just the wisdom that comes from recognising what we have to do, getting involved with it and uh, penetrating the uh, miasma of the mind, fogs and uh, compulsions of it all. Sometimes just seeing how out of control it all is—you know—in a way that gives you some wisdom. You, you, because when you begin to see it as it is, then um, you don't really take it so much as being a person anymore. This is a very uh, crucial feature of of, uh, wisdom is to not to to deny that it's a person but to actually whose is this? It says all kinds of things about me, it says it generates this experience of me and self but who is that? you see the generation or the the production of opinions and views about oneself opinions and views about other people and so particularly when one begins to see the, the pollutions, the distortions around what we can make of other people mm. suddenly you, know, you get monsters and uh, ogres and and uh, uh, saints and sinners and you know this and you, you know you're sitting there actually in silence and your mind is creating this this person you know, out of uh, some bits and pieces of behavior and reactions and you create a person along with it comes this feeling of always she is he is always like that, you know, so it sort of fixes it. And uh, this particular habit. And sometimes we, we in that process, we, we create ourselves. We look back. We look at well, there's a reviewing of our of the experience, and uh, there comes a the feeling of oh, this is the way I am. Never going to get anywhere. Stuck in this stuff. You know, always like this. Always was like this. Always will be like this. So you don't necessarily verbalise it, but it's uh, it's this kind of mood, on, and in that mood you, you feel a certain kind of sinking, and a kind of st- stuck, stuck state. And it's stuck on the world, stuck on oneself, stuck on other people, stuck on in you know some view or another. And this is the. the Called the thicket of views because it's, uh, it's likened in the Buddha's teaching, it's like trying to run through a bramble hedge. You know, the more you worm into it, the more hooked you get on it. It's <laughs> got a thicket, a bramble of views. The more views you have, the more thick and tangled it is, and the more you get the you know, barbs and hooks. Even though it's tearing one's flesh, one still pushes through into it. <laughs> We, we, you know, because we have this sense of you know, trying to get, get through it, pushing through it. Rather, than, is it possible to, you know, back off or quiet down or shift the energy and step back from all that? When we recognize the the simplicity of a lot of you know meditation structures as an idea just focusing on the breath breathing in breathing out sitting still walking up and down and how out of control uh, our system can be because it just can careen around um, not doing not doing what seems to be ludicrously simple uh, and then you, you, you know, this is the way is, is a, where the path really begins because you begin to understand the nature of this compulsive, habit-bound uh, formations, you know, to the formations of the body or energies of the body, drives, urges, sinking, flushing, rushing up, rushing down, feeling so sort of charged up, by things pushed back, by things sunk, crushed, uh, inflated, uh, mangled. You know, you get these senses in your in your body, um, which are got kind of way an emotion affects you, or a thought affects you, or a passion affects one, and gets these tremendous um, effects, mm-hmm. the bodily formation. Bodily energy, bodily dynamic—it's a process. The dynamics of the heart—the heart is always in some kind of process of, of you know, feeling things, perceiving things, deriving meanings, interpreting things. Even when there's really no need to do so, so it's, uh, it's coming up with interpretations about oneself, about other people, about today, tomorrow, Buddhism, meditation. Samadhi, insight, everything. You know. um, feeling this is an important thing to be doing. It's got this kind of compulsion to it and conviction about it. And of course the thinking mind. These are the three formations. And they have a certain compulsion to them. And the compulsion of the heart is, feels like conviction or certainty. It's, it's, it, this is real, We're to find what's real, to find what's certain, to be certain, to have that sense of certainty. So, you know, whenever we feel strongly affected by something, for a moment that seems certain, that seems, we feel convinced by that. Hmm. We feel a sense of the desire. Then, for that particular moment, the object of desire is seen as experiences. Really, that would make me feel good. That's great. That's exactly what I want. Something we a sense of aversion. The conviction comes up. This is terrible. It shouldn't be here. You know, I can't bear this for another moment. And the more solid well, the passion is, the more con- more conviction there is. Yeah. well you think that conviction is some kind of rational process of having deduced something but actually conviction is not a rational process conviction is a is a uh, an emotional process it just rises up and it 's dependent upon passion mm-hmm. upon strong feeling upon a rush of feeling or a rush of energy in the heart mm-hmm. something that one Feels charged up and aroused about one. One feels very convinced by it. So this can be the pleasurability of something, mm-hmm. yeah. or or, the, or a conviction about a thought. So it's. A, mm-hmm. yeah. Convinced about oneself, convinced about what one should do. Mm-hmm. You, know, you know, sometimes in retreats you can, you get into the, you can get start to plan. Your mind can start to plan what you're going to do, the rest of your life, or the next five, the five year plan, the three year plan, or whatever it is. That's it. You know, and then, you, well, then again. Let's have plan B, a contingency plan, and then plan C, so you have these kind of plans. <laughs> what, why does it do that? You know? It's a compulsion for knowing and feeling certain and having something, some structure, some structure to make one feel one's got a future, one, ex- one is, exists, and so on. It's almost like proving one exists, as if he didn't exist it's the particular charge the rush the flush the galvanizing of that energy in the heart that is so gripping and moving but that's Essentially, that's, that's it's just it. That's the bit. It's just that, it's like a heart energy. Mm. And uh, the way that we are is that uh, once there is that energy there, then the thinking mind can assemble enough statistics and facts and notions and to, to, to back that up. So, certainly, you know, many spheres of human activity, religion, politics, and so forth, are, are saturated with this stuff. Um, the world is going to end in 17 and a half years' time, or... They been predicting that for a long, long, long time. The end of the world is nigh. Um, God loves us or God doesn't love us or God loves some of us but doesn't love the other people He's on our side but not on their side you know we can be convinced by that ideologies so what does it what does it give rise to What is it kind of evangelism so attracts people because it kind of gives rise to a feeling of kind of a charge of certainty and conviction that takes away the uh, sort of uh, the need to be open <laughs> you know, and not know and be present and uh, to be with things because I've got a strategy and a, to, that gives me a way of, of approaching the world from a, a preconceived strategy and then some things I can blissfully ignore completely uh, really ignore as being insignificant, they don't come into the plan, they don't come into the, into God's plan, or my plan, or the way it is, or the divine right, or the uh, mission statement, so we just forget that, you know, Altogether, Other things we'll become completely obsessed with. This is the, you know, what conviction feels like. It grips, and it's in this. Um, so one one can it, it, experience with that is is it provides a certain solidity. It creates a kind of conceivable future, conceivable past. It creates a kind of little planet, little world that then one can one dwells in. One's well, got angles and perspectives. So what essentially it does is both the quality of that, that sense of being filled and charged and, and gripped by something, and the perceptual um, realm that it creates. Is it gives rise to a strong sense of this is what I am. This is where I am, this is what I am. And... And sometimes when these convictions shift and change, there's a quick kind of shuffle to the left, shuffle to the right, and boom boom now now here's where I am, you know plan G, this is right, you know we have a quick shift of ideologies or you know the woman who was the, who was the only one in the world for me well that, that was last week, and now it 's this one, you know <laughs> and this is this is it, and so forth, and that kind of thing, and you have know, a quick kind of change of hat and shuffle around and then, ah, oh, here we are again. So we can we can go in and out of various persuasions and convictions and views and uh, you know, we can do that. We can actually change our minds and change our opinions, but what doesn't seem to shift behind it is the sense of the need to have one and what it really does. It establishes a sense of me, self. And without it, perhaps we feel a bit vague and lost and not really am I, you know. And that can be very difficult for us to to, uh, handle. But one notices, obviously, on on an external level, how the uh, qualities of dissonant convictions creates immense conflict over who's right. Of course, everybody's right. That's the problem. (laughs) But there are lots of rights. And uh, the more passionate we hold them, the more it gives rise to to, um, prejudice, arguments, and so forth quarreling. Suffering. And when one's really convinced, then we're prepared to suffer for the sake of our convictions. (laughs) And even more convinced, I'm prepared to make you suffer because it would probably be good for you. You know, I'm convinced, you know, eventually you'll come round, you'll thank me in the end. <laughs> See, we, I think we've probably all heard that line somewhere or another. Thank goodness me. Yeah. Yeah. Frightening, isn't it? And then even project it. God makes us suffer because it's probably good for us. You know, There's some mysterious divine will at work Whereby, you know, he knows it, he knows what it's all about, but he's letting us play around and make a mess of it and suffer um, because he loves us. Oh yeah, and then you go to hell, and so forth. But but he really loves you all the time. It's just you think, well, I do, <laughs> do I need this kind of treatment? <laughs> so you know, we can be, we can be convinced by such a strange illogical thing as that and say well it's a mystery, divine mystery. Yeah. Where does it come from? Mm. The need to be convinced. The passion for it. And to sanctify that. So we don't question it. Don't examine it. Don't, you know, explore what's happening. You know, whether we're convinced about the way that our long chips should be cooked, what the best kind of food to eat is, or, or whatever it is. So it's this emotional push and the compulsion behind it so a lot of our the sense of self is really not a conceived idea but an emotional basis really kind of an emotional push yeah. and it's out it's out of control it's something seems to keep doing it keep wanting to do it keep needing to do it keep wanting to do it keep naming ourselves mm whether it's bad. I mean, you name yourself as an idiot, failure, second-rate, but just to keep naming it. And, in, in, and uh, that seems more important than even than to be convinced one's one's a sinner. It seems to be better to be not convinced of anything. But in, in uh, the main thrust of the Buddhist practice is to, is to examine the core of these, these experiences not to get spun out on the details of them where we differ but to examine these core, core experiences and how they, how they operate the dynamics of them and with the simple reference is this does this lead to harmony, peace, welfare that which feels uh, easeful, free from stress or not That which leads to stress, we call a hindrance or an obstacle, because it's it's snagging, snagging the purity, the freedom. Uh, In, when we begin to. Contemplate the, the the stuck or the hindered um, quality in our experience. Then, in, in a way, naming it like that and naming stress and naming suffering is, is not to to uh, be morbid, but to actually try and get some perspective on it, to to see it as it is, to see these processes and dynamics. Um, so you get some, some sense of just stepping back. Mm. So to say something's a hindrance, already implies that if it wasn't there, there would be an unhindered. You know? So hindrance is something that seems to occur rather than something that's innate. Mm. So it's not saying we are this way, but, this, but you know, a process is hindered by something blocked. So, well, that then really gives you the sense, well, if you could actually release that, then, phew, well, well and good. So the, the Buddha's teaching is actually full of a lot of pointing out to experiences that we take very much as ourself are really uh, dynamic processes that are out of control or stuck or, or going in their own way. They're conditioned. Mm. And uh, most of our practice is really concerned with uh, hindrances and uh, freeing, 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 you know, getting out of the effect of them. The hindrance of ill will, the hindrance of restlessness, the hindrance of dullness, the hindrance of craving, hindrance of, of, of uh, wavering and havering, hindrance of restlessness. These kind of things that feel, one feels them as snagging, compulsive, uh, obsessive, um, out of control, and conducive to to one's uh, sense of suffering and stress. It's like that. If they were, if they were conducive to one's happiness, then great, we'll have them. You know, it's not. There's no. It's very much a pragmatic thing as to what actually. Frees one from suffering and stress. This is so that the freeing up of this is seen as synonymous with uh, the quality of samadhi or the sense of a settled mind. When the mind is free from hindrances, it settles, it feels composed and collected. We have an experience of well being sometimes it's put the other way around that one actually needs uh, the quality of samadhi in order to get the strength and collectiveness to to dismiss the power of these things so the two are really connected sometimes you you know you, you actually do have enough this strength even for a few moments to to stop to jam the mechanisms of compulsion or sometimes the the way uh, the when the compulsions cease for a, for times that allows the mind to to enter into this state of collectiveness. It's a kind of benchmark, really. But one sees the two really as, as as two ways of looking at the same thing. And when the when the mind is settled and collected, then we can see a lot clearer. We see much more deep into into our experience. That's the point of it. It develops. It allows wisdom to. Come shining through. It's nothing more than that, really. It's to, so this is momentary, or however one goes around, disbanding hindrances, uh, uh, letting the mind settle, getting the mind to settle state. And if one does that, whichever way one goes around it. So sometimes it's true that one can just have the the sense of energy and collectedness and strength and skill to to just stop, block. Turn away from an obstacle, Um, and sometimes it's the case that the obstacles just seem so strong. You just can't get the energy and the to 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 block them. You just kind of run like on uh, on skids, just kind of frog marched (laughs) by this stuff. It seems so 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 intense. And because it 's um, gripping it 's also convincing, and because it 's convincing, it feels like me mm. and the more it feels like me, the less I have the sense of faith or confidence or to to really you know challenge it. the more it seems like this is what I am, then the less I have the the uh, um, Ability to, to see him objectively, we, something in us sinks and we just give up on uh, approaching or reviewing or checking or encouraging uh, the mind. So, perhaps the most important thing is just to, to grasp this little bit of the wisdom teachings on non self. Mm-hmm if this was yourself then you'd be able to say do this, don't do that but because these things run out of control it can't be what you are you have no say over it Um, so the, the very kind of brambly nature of it all the stuck nature of it all and the unsatisfactory nature of it all is a indication this actually doesn't fit this isn't what i am this is something that's happening and you can see it so it's dynamic it's never steady you can't sit there in a kind of it may seem steady because it kind of repeats itself but actually it's a dynamic process um, the new the throb the mood the information the images the thoughts that keep coming up um, the bodily energies are continually shifting and changing they go in a repetitive pattern and it's the nature of the the patterning of these things the looping, the repeating the cycling the, again and again and again it gives you the sense of permanence but it's actually it's repetitive and rather than permanent hmm. and if you actually contemplate the process sometimes it's possible to find the places where The process kind of slows down a bit and the thought or the images or the moods just momentarily ebb and you can begin to cut it there, bring attention there at the weak places. But begin just to kind of see these things as they are and their effects, the way we interpret them. Because the the dynamic of it and the self-forming nature of it always gives rise to the feeling of, "God, got, you know, I'm really stuck. I've got a lot of stuff here. We've um, got lifetimes of stuff stuck in this thing. Uh, you know, and don't realise it can actually it can shift in a moment." if we find the place where the, the uh, hook of the hindrance undoes. These hindrance, sometimes this, this whole hindred, hindered experience is, is symbolised as Mara. Mara, roughly speaking, a kind of demon or a, uh, uh, an evil figure, something that you know, it's continually pitted against one's welfare so in, in the buddhist cosmology this is called mara or the, dev, the demon um, the, and the buddha and so in the iconography the buddha is always tackling mara mara is sometimes tackling the buddha or trying to overthrow the buddha or create doubts in the buddha's mind or, or you know and it's the used phrase like one is one is caught in mara's snare Oh, when well, is free of Mara snare, or Mara is looking for a place to catch hold of you. It sounds a bit spooky, but actually what it does is it, it uh, and it's very standard in in um, Asian kind of ways of conceiving these things is it, it kind of places it outside. so you're all right, but it's this Mara stuff you know And Mara's called you now. Yeah. But you're you're fine, but you know you, it's Mara that's the problem. So they they tend to use a kind of cosmological um, presentation of it, and that the, you know the 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 aspirant is someone who, who struggles with Mara, sees through Mara, conquers Mara. You know, so it's there's a sense of really meeting it. You know, having to grapple with it, meet it. Whereas the Western model tends to internalise, and we get more, we tend to use language of psychology, like neurosis, um, you know, my neurotic mess, or my, um, you know, and so it's all very much mine. You know. uh, so there's something to be said about, you know, what seeing it more objectively. Because it's the, 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 say the point of the wisdom teaching, you know, is this sense of compulsion gives rise to the sense of um, self, sense of self gives rise to compulsion, right? And this is what karma is about. No, karma is a sense of a, an activity it can be an emotional activity uh, so the emotional activity is considered to be the actual primary agency of karma, this kind of volitional impulse that occurs in the heart karma can be good or bad but the end result of it always is it gives rise to the sense of I did this you know, so it gives this kind of echo, ricochet effect of me who did it which me was it? You know? uh, because there seem to be quite a few of them there's a good one, a bad one, a lazy one a happy one, inspired one, a depraved one You know, so which one did that? Uh, it, we don't really question it but there's a feeling of, oh yeah, I did that so it, that's what karma does Bec- it, it gives this kind of leaves these traces, leaves these residues that gives rise this feeling of, of selfhood so, you know, in kind of coming out of that, it's, it's to find ways and means to, to break that hold. Either in, perceptually, in terms of one's attitudes, even in terms of one's, one's energies. Because you get compulsive about uh, freedom, in a way. You know, so that becomes another kind of uh, self-experience. Where I've got to be freed, or I should be—I should be someone who doesn't have these experiences. So there's a certain charging up, and sometimes it's quite inspirational for a while. Um, but the sense of self that gets generated through that means you don't—you can't actually get free. Hmm. So wherever there is the sense of self, there's always going to be some compulsion or another, some drive, and it's the very quality of being compelled that is what you know freedom isn't. So to tackle this, I have a little. Image on my on my shrine that venerable Tanutro left me. It's a, quite small, and it's two two figures. I think it's carved in bone or ivory or something. Two figures, and and these two figures are wrestling. One figure is a demon. Got, you can got tell it's a demon. He's got like all good demons. They got you can tell them because they've got bulgy eyes and they've got claws feet. That's their, that's their telltale sign as you probably notice when you see a demon You look right in the eyes, bulging eyes, clawed feet generally not happy laid back beings intense, very intense um, this is the demon and he's grappling and the other one is a sage, Indili is a sage because he's kind of leaning back he looks very relaxed and peaceful, he's just using one hand And he's got a smile on his face. It's this demon intense and gripping and struggling and pushing, and the sage is kind of leaning back with one, one hand, one hand up, holding this, you know, just meeting this demon with one hand, looking like just like he's having a picnic. It's, a, it's interesting, isn't it? It's this image. So, and when I saw that, I mean, I don't know what the image means to you, but uh, it reminded me of uh, how, you know, how we tend to approach the process of freedom from a very kind of intense, grappling, eye-bulging, claw-footed kind of way. (laughs) That's, that's, that's Mara. That's a demon trying to get free. Demons, no, no, that's not in the script. Demons don't get free. <laughs> they just get more and more compulsive. <laughs> and uh, something is, you know, really likes them. We like the kind of charge, the the, the vitality, the conviction. Are we going to get through? This isn't right. This isn't the way I should be. I'm going to slug this out. Yeah. And the sage is just. Uh, Sitting back, yeah. well, it's, you know, well, it's a kind of here we are. I suppose it's time to meet a demon. You know? yeah. There's always run around somewhere, needing to be needing to be uh, given some attention. You know, put your hand up and feel this one. Let him push against you. Yeah. And I found that something um, quite a lot of resonance in it. Yeah because I certainly know what intensity is about and how convincing it is this is meaningful, this is important, this is significant, this is useful, this is valuable, this is religious even Um, fervent, that kind of thing (coughs) but um, When you feel it in your body, I don't don't, don't know if I can live like this, (laughs) or want to live like this. (laughs) You know, so so even then the 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 mind can can sort of say, oh, this this is this is okay, this is the right thing. Just actually feeling it, stepping back, feeling that is this um, is this the end of suffering? Does it lead to it? Is this the only way to practice? And admittedly, you know, we have to. The Buddha does talk about the struggle and uh, 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 and so forth, and the quest. And we certainly there's a lot of struggle and intensity there. But what notices that the times of his actual breakthrough is a time of great lightness, dispassion, ease. There's a saying in the Sangyutta Nikaya where the Buddha says While I, as long as I strived and pressed forward I didn't cross the flood when well, I stop striving and pressing forward, I cross the flood. Mm. So, yeah, in a way, there is the struggle. It's something we. But how do we meet the struggle? Yeah. To say, you know, we, in a way, we enter into a kind of crucible whereby some of the um, contradictions and unresolved and confusions actually are held in such a way that they manifest and we feel some of the, the brambles and the thorns and the locks of things that otherwise, if we weren't held, we would kind of keep following and not seeing the, the, the contradictions in what we're doing. How can in this world be based upon me getting what I want? How can it be based upon destroying other creatures wantonly? Why is it other people's welfare is, welfare is of less importance than mine? How, how can we how can we live that way? How do some people not count at all? You know, and yet, one doesn't necessarily think these things, but we can find ourselves acting in these ways, in these ignorant ways. And um, it's when you're actually held in a crucible of restraint and precepts, and well, look, we've got to, we're sharing this together. You start to see the, why, why do I have to be with him? I don't like the way she walks. You know, it's kind of. Why is it this way? I want it to be that way. This doesn't suit, you know, it's kind of, and you start to see the, uh, when you're held in that, you can see the kind of latent roots of, of ill will, conceit, um, craving, projections, and so forth. And there. So we're, there's the struggle, but it's a struggle that we're already in by being born here, by being alive. We didn't really see it as that. When you're actually held in it, it manifests. You see, you are the struggle. You are, you know, in a way, your self experience is the struggle, and it's become clearer now. But the way out of that isn't it's through staying with it and holding it certainly but it's not by developing more of a self that's going to struggle Hmm. and one of the benefits of, of, of developing mindfulness as an all over thing just even things like mindfulness of walking in in the body breathing in and out and so forth we're not actually dealing with big burning issues um, is that we're in a way also creating another background or another crucible um, for our internal struggles and conflicts breathing in and out was never an issue for me you know so we're, we're sort of, there's a sense of non-issue uh, and you, you know, that you can keep referring to. So it establishes the main point in your practice on something that's actually happening anyway and is, is easy. Breathing walking up and down, breathing in and out, standing still, opening the eyes, just, just looking, hearing, seeing, you know, things of that nature and just being with that and seeing or recognize the difference between that and this kind of pressurized stuff that's can be going on. And one of the um, things we can begin to sense is the different, one might say, energetic qualities. What's it like when the attention is spread over the whole body? It's a suffusive state. And then something grips us and we become intense and charged. We start to spin. We sometimes feel ourselves going up, bubbling up. Sometimes we feel ourselves sinking down. Uh, Sometimes we completely lose the body altogether, spin out of it. So you you kind of get these patterns of of different kinds of energy patterns. And when the emotion catches you, one tightens up, one speeds, one feels something speeding up and tightening up and getting into gear, and then getting compulsive and running. Yeah. And then, whenever you check, stop that, and breathe out, you come back to something that isn't running, uh, is not compulsive, and doesn't wind you up. It kind of diffuses and suffuses. See. So You can to see the sense of almost without mental interpretation, which is like an energetic reference to where the stress and release from stress. And along with that, we 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 see how, how when when you just remember, almost like or get imprinted into into your understanding, what the spacious, what the free, what the stressless or reduced stress feels like. Then the stressing patterns stick out more obviously, even in their formative nature. Even they're not that manic, but just they're kind of, you know, tightening up. Mm. What's happening? And then now, kind of just refer to, without taking issue with this, without saying should I, shouldn't, how am I, why am I. Why I'm always, I never can be. That going into all that kind of Mara-like uh, script, just where's where's, the, where's right now? Where would the freedom be right now in your body? Sometimes a lot but it's just going to be a, it, be an out-breath. Hmm. All the time just to, to breathe out, not have to deal with and discover, be other than this just to just to be the out breath Sometimes it's an in breath. Ah yeah, yeah. Lifting up. Um and with that you, you feel your your attention shifts from a mesmerized, almost drugged, hypnotized state to something that's got the vision. Uh, is 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 wide. And in that width, that breadth, and the sensitivity of that, you discern a much larger field of experience than the hindered one, the kind of, sort of the compulsive wheels of sangsara. Uh, you experience something in this very, very body and mind which is uh, delightful, spacious, open, gracious, compassionate, not because you had to be them, or make them happen, or work on developing them, <laughs> you know. Be- but because that's that's the nature of the ground that you you release into. It's, it's there. Yeah. Uh, so there's something, you know, really telling about that because it's not something I did. It wasn't something I got. It's when I stopped doing and stop getting that I received it this is really uh, even moments of this are really transformative for our whole psychology, our whole take on what life is about or quote spiritual life is about it is an opening into Vastness, and in the vastness, there's plenty of room to share. Mm. This is what that sage is. I like to look at that sage and think, this is this is where he is. He's got all the time in the world to just keep some demon happy, you know, make him feel important. Because, you know, but not to... Don't give it, don't feed it with uh, self or intensity, or... Don't feed it with compulsions. Mm. So even the subtler forms of, you know, the compulsion for liberation, for freedom, or for tranquility, or for whatever you, you know, whatever the word is—meditation, mindfulness, love, so forth—even that, when one when holds it in the wrong place, it's the, the the terrible twist of it is: the more fiercely one holds it, the more it it, it, it just moves away. It's like that hand which reaches out to grasp is actually a hand pushing it away. Yeah. because that, that's why—that's the claws of the demon they don't actually have soft palms to receive anything they're, they're so busy clawing they haven't got any receptors left yeah. and when we put down that hand the palm opens and you, you, you can receive it